Welcome to all the rest of you here to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you can be with us today. We really appreciate it. Hope you can stick around for all or most of the next hour. We'll be on until 10 o'clock here live from Port St. Lucie. And we're glad that you could join us, as I mentioned. And this is a live call-in show. So hopefully uh, you can call in today and ask us a question or make a comment or whatever's on your mind today. We, this show, We Are Just Christians, is about everything spiritual, including politics. If that makes any sense, Gary. And we talk about whatever's on your mind. And the idea is that we believe that there ought to be a return to New Testament Christianity, being just a, just a Christian like they were in the first century here in the 21st century. And by a plain and simple reading of the Bible, without all the additions and, and traditions of human beings over the centuries, we think we can make that work. We think we can go back to the first century because... I think from reading the New Testament, Gary, it's obvious that the apostles and Jesus Christ himself wanted that to be the case, that it would apply to all men for all time, and, and that, that's what we're trying to get back to. Right. And, and then, we find we can agree on that if we will lay down the various ideas and traditions, even secular traditions, if that makes any sense. Well, and that's folk, folks are going to get tired of me quoting this, but the very reason we're here and the very thing that you're talking about, Mike, is what Jesus said in John twelve forty eight. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That word contained in the New and Old right. Testaments that we, we look to, the things he fulfilled and the things he said we should do, that's what this is all about. Yes, and, and so that's what we're trying to bring here to Port St. Lucie, this, this idea. And in fact... Uh, you can reach us a lot of different ways. L let me take just a moment, Gary, before we get into a couple of topics today, and, and maybe someone out there has something they'd like to talk about. We'd be glad to hear from you. You can change the subject if you want to. But let me tell you how to get a hold of us. If you'd like to talk to us here on We Are Just Christians or make a comment about anything spiritual that's on your mind, call 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number here in, in Port St. Lucie. That's how you reach us, Ray at the station there, who you heard. will patch you right through to us, and we'll be able to have a conversation. Ask your question, make your comment, and we promise you when you call that, uh, that we'll give you the last word, whether we agree or whether we disagree. It's not about confrontation. Disagreements are fine. It's about learning and having a conversation. So we're going to have to uh, – we'll, we'll follow that rule. We'll give you the last word on whatever we – uh, whatever is brought up today. Also, you can reach us by text message. Uh, I have a text number, 772-260-6120. That's the number from Mike. Gary's number is very similar, 772-260-6220. You know, Gary, I mentioned this a while back. You can text us here maybe a year ago, and we get a lot of texts for that reason. I, I was kind of an accident, but I'm glad we did. But, but we both have numbers, and the good thing about that is you can text us during the show we often can respond to that, and you certainly can text us during the week uh, anytime you want to discuss something, and sometimes we can use that, that on, the, on the Internet, you know, or later on on the show uh, if you'll just text us 
or 6220. Or you can email us. We get emails from even out of state. Um, just Christians at att.net. A simple address. Just Christians at att.net. Now, Ray at the station tells me that all you got to do, too, to listen to the show live, if you don't, if you're in your car <coughs> or you're not, you know, by a radio, I mean, if you're not in your car or by a radio, you can go to uh, WPSL.com. The Listen Live button there will take you right to the show while we're on the air. You can listen on TuneIn Radio on the app on your phone or whatever device you have. You can listen on all the Alexa devices by going to 1590 WPSL or maybe it's WPSL 1590. You can see, figure that out. Or also on Google Chrome devices. So all those things are possible. And I'm going to give you a couple of the things, ways you can reach us and find out, out about this show and about the church here a little bit later in the show, if I can remember. <laughs> I'll do my best to do that. But you can, there's a couple of other ways, but I don't want to take up the time right now to do Forgive that. Forgive me, but I just had to chuckle at that one. I know. I, I, she, he knows. Uh, my mar- I get carried away, and we both start talking, and then that's the end of things. But I'll try to remember. I printed out this little handy-dandy uh, sheet here in front of me, Gary. It's paper, as you see, that's got all that information on there so I can at least remember I mentioned before, the old-time radio broadcasters, baseball broadcasters, had, a, had an egg timer, they tell me, in the booth with them. And they would flip it, and when it ran out, they would give the score. It was like a two- or three-minute timer. Because I used to listen to a lot of baseball as a boy on the radio, you know. Cincinnati Reds, where I grew up, St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs. I'd get in all these distant stations. But they would always be given the score. And if you just tune in the middle of the show, you wouldn't know you know, what the score was, and so they had a, a way. I don't have a timer here, but we probably need one, something like that. Maybe you can kick me under the table. That'll work. <laughs> well, Gary, you said before the show, and you started something last we week. We started something last and, week. And, we uh, got some calls. We, well, we, have, we got the calls. But go ahead and but kick I, it off again, what you got on your well, mind. Well, I'm going to do just you know, five or ten minutes of review here because this was about the gospel plan of salvation. And it, it, I called it first things first, because sometimes uh, when I listen to televangelists and so on, the cart gets before the horse, so to speak, if you, if you, uh, you want to know. And we talked about what needs to be first, and what the Bible basically emphasizes as being first is our belief and faith in God. That has to come first. Right. That there's, there's nothing else uh, that will motivate you to... Complete the things that God has told you to do uh, without that faith. And, and we talked about faith and belief actually in the Bible mean the same thing. So faith and belief are the same thing. When you read one, you can almost interchangeably read the other uh, with some minor variations in tense and verbs and so on. Things they're like just that. different words in English, but not in the original language. But they're not right. a different word in the original in- language. And basically... Uh, we, we, we went, both, of, both you and I went to the same verse almost immediately, Hebrews 11 and 6. Right. And it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we have to believe that God is, and, and as we go through this, there will be some more things that we need to believe about Jesus but basically that idea of belief and belief alone kind of crowds out some things that come later on a lot of people will look to Ephesians 2 and we talked a little bit about Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 8 Paul says for by grace you have been saved through faith 
and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And a lot of people, I think, have mistakenly taken that to mean that all you have to do is believe. They've taken it to say faith only, but it faith doesn't say that at but all. But it doesn't say that at no. all. So, so how does faith work with works? And he says, not of works that you can boast. What does Paul really mean by that? Um, because Paul says some other things that are kind of interesting in regarding to works. And in Romans, he actually says we're, we're rewarded by our deeds. So wh- what are we rewarded by? How does this work together? And one of the things that... Uh, I wanted to point out is that God views these things, both faith and obedience, almost in a different way than we do here uh, in a lot of cases, because I think he views them as one. And I would, I would take Hebrews 3.16, Hebrews 3.16 and following as one of the things that we would look at for that. He, he prefaces this with a a psalm, Psalm 95, talking about the rebellion when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they rebelled against him. And he says uh, in verse 16, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now they all came out of Egypt to go in the land of, of promise. Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? You know, and I and I would point out that something that we don't often think about. They didn't all get to the promised land. No, they did not all get there. And he says, To whom did even he though they were children of God, even though they as were children were, and brought out of and brought slavery. out of cl- slavery and saved or delivered as it were in parallel. Right. They didn't all make it to the promised land. And so in verse eighteen he says, And to him did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey. Now, there's an interesting term. He says, what was the land? Con- the promised land was considered a rest. Those that did not obey. And says, verse, verse 9. So he's equating disobedience here. He's equating disobedience. Verse 6 with unbelief in verse 19. Right. He says, okay. so we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. I, I, I've come to, c- to the conclusion, Mike. That well, now, verse 6 in, in the, in the King, New King James, it says can't enter in because of disobedience. Right. That's what this one says. Yeah, this okay. is the New King James. About unbelief. All right. But to those who did not obey. Okay. All right. So he says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So, you know, mental acknowledgement without obedience is not belief, according no. to God. Yeah. Well, Gary, it's a... a Go back a little bit. I don't want to interrupt you too much here. You know, you started with Hebrews 11, which I agree with, and I think I mentioned that last week. But there's another verse that bears on this subject as far as modern Protestant teaching is concerned, and that's Hebrew, uh, Romans 10:17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing, hearing by the word of God. How do we get faith? We get faith by hearing God's word. And not just, that doesn't mean in that context hearing just with the ear, it means the, uh, the doing something sound. about it, listening to it, heeding it, taking heed to it. In fact, if you go back in the old law, the, the Old Testament, uh, hear, O Israel, he says in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the Shema, Shema, I guess they call it in Hebrew, the most important verse in, 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 Hebrew, in um, Judaism in many respects. That word is translated sometimes hear and sometimes obey. In throughout the Old Testament, depending on the context, the tra- right. beca- and the Hebrews understand it that way. Same thing here, that, that hearing comes, uh, belief comes by hearing God's word. He says here, 
that disobedience and not hearing are the same thing, and disunbelief are the same, same thing. thing. And and so, so don't be fooled by your saved by faith alone by saying a prayer and that's all you have to do. And that goes to the Calvinist idea that God gives us faith, that God's already chosen those who are redeemed before the foundation of the world. They read those verses to mean God's already chosen all the people that are going to be saved, foreordained them, predestined them. There's nothing they could ever do to either be saved or lost because God does everything. And this verse says, no, you're saved by faith, and that faith comes by hearing God's word. It's not about whether God chose you. It's you also. You have a you have a say in the choosing. You have to choose God. Yes, also, you along have, with you, God choosing. You need to diligently seek him. So Be- how does God choose you? He puts out his word. Those that respond are chosen. Anyway, go ahead. We're getting way, way ahead yeah, of ourselves. But here. what I was going to say is even in Hebrews 5, we've been using a lot of Hebrews, but Hebrews is full of a lot of God, good information about how these things are related. It's a book about unbelief yes. versus belief. And Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 9, he says, speaking of Jesus now, the Hebrew writer speaking of Jesus says, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He didn't say they become, he became the author of internal salvation to all who believe him or believe in him. He said other places all, say believe, but this one says obey. This one says obey. There are other places that say believe, but what did we learn in Hebrews 3 and 16 and following that belief and obedience are the same thing in God's eyes? And so I want to postulate something here. And I wanna, uh, this is the direction that's different, Mike, in where we generally go with trying to explain this. I want to... I want to get the idea out that there is something here that God wants to see that proves something that cannot be seen. Jesus used that example in in Luke, uh, and I think it's a very impressive. I think sometimes we miss what's here. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, there's a story about a paralytic who was let down through through the ceiling so that Jesus could heal him. So I'd... Bear with me. Let me read this okay. because I want to uh, get the idea that's here, and I want to emphasize some of Jesus' words and some of the things that were said about him. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, he says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, and let him down with his bed through the tile in, in, this, in the midst before Jesus. So basically they got clever. They, 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 they displayed initiative. And they went up to the roof, took the tiling away, and let the man down. And notice what it says about Jesus then in verse 20. He says, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And what does that tell you, Mike? It tells me Jesus saw something that proved their faith. Saw their faith by their action. Saw their faith by their action, and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, here's another lesson from this that we often miss in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began reasoning, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or say, rise up and walk? 
But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Here's the idea that Jesus was proving to them that he could forgive sins, something they could not see, by something he said and what the man did, his action that they could see. I think that's a concept that goes with faith and works, Mike. I think that's what God is looking for. He's looking to see our faith. Well, that's the very point that James is making in James 2 yeah, about you, you, showing my faith. You the next you, verse you're going to. Right, yeah, exactly okay. where I was right, going to go. go Let's take a look at James 2, beginning in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Do you believe that God, there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble, but they have no works. But uh, do you want to know, O oh man, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Which is what was basically said in, in the Hebrew letter. They didn't enter in because of unbelief. They didn't enter in because they disobeyed. Uh, John texted in and said that people used to think that a sick person must have sinned. So if Jesus healed someone, he must also be forgiving sins. Well, that's true, except they did think that. Like in John 9, when the blind man was blind, the disciples asked him who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be you know, born blind. And Jesus said, neither one. But what Jesus, the point Jesus is making is they can't see his power to forgive sins, per se. Right. So he did something that they could see, which is a big step toward understanding the purpose of miracles. purpose of miracles isn't just to make you feel better about God, but the purpose of miracles was to demonstrate something that you can't see by showing you something that you can see. That's why it's called a sign. And, and so this is that miracle when he said that to the man, which is easier to say, thy sins, sins be forgiven me or take up your bed and walk. Well, it, neither one is easier to say. You can say either one. And Jesus could have said either one. But he said the outward thing that they could see so they would have knowledge of the inward thing that he was doing. can't see. That they can't see, yes. And, and, and that's exactly the message that's here. And, and we could spend a whole show on the purpose of miracles, but I didn't want to. Well, yes, know. but he, and, and so John texted, well, after a healing, he would say, go and sin no more. Well, it's true because all of them, had, all of them were sinners. He wasn't saying that their but then again, handicap was caused by their sin. But then again, he, they asked him about the blind man. He said, who sinned, this blind man or his parents? And what did Jesus he's saying, say? Well, neither one neither sinned. Neither one it's of not, them. It's, it's this not, man it's not was, a connection. Th this man was made this way to display the power of God. But, but the, we also see this, that the apostles, for example, in Acts 3, when the, when the beggar asked Jesus for, or asked Peter for money, he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I will give you. So the, really the point of it, of the, of the, was to give this, some, this person something greater than healing from lameness or blindness or whatever the case may be. It was to give them forgiveness of sins, which was greater than those things. So basically what I, what I wanted to get across is that in many ways, in, in faith, in miracles, in the things that God asks us to do when he gives us a command, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to see our faith. I yes. believe that, that that's exactly what he wants to do is he wants to see our faith. You, you kind of remember 
what he said uh, to Abraham when he went to offer Isaac. What did he say? Now I know. Now after, after Abraham raised the knife, after he said, Abraham now I know. Raised, now I know. He wanted to see Abraham's faith. Would he actually go ahead and do it? Which is against the idea that God's preordained everything and already, you know, has got it all set in motion. That's interesting. Obviously, that's another whole big subject, Gary. But, but, but uh, okay, so God wants to see our faith, okay? He wants to see those things, and, and it makes sense about what Paul says about we are rewarded by our deeds. We, when we do good things, we're rewarded by those things. Now, now the distinction that James makes, just so our listeners are clear about this, is not just stuff that we make up, you know, counting beads right. or, or saying Hail Marys or something that are good deeds. It's some, it's the, the good deeds he wants to see are, are is uh, our obedience to things he's told us right. to do and direct obedience to that. He, say, he says in verse 6 of Romans 2, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will relend, render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So, He's saying is you need to seek to serve God. That's what he's got in mind here. Serving God is the things right. that he wants. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, there's, there's another obedience. Do not obey the truth. What, what did he say about truth? Thy word is truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. So God considers not obeying him evil. He considers not obeying the truth evil action. And, and we need to understand that our understanding of good and evil comes from God and from the scripture, not from what we think ourselves, not from within us. Right. I, th I think that's part of where we're going. So what are some of the things that God asks us to do? What are, the, what are the first things, Mike, that God would, ask, would want us to see or hear or do in terms of the things that would show him our faith. What do you think about that? The first things? One of the first things I can think of is confess him before men. Right. Uh, basically, what does he say uh, in Romans 10? Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That word you talked about earlier, that is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and in the mouth confession is made unto salvation for scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame notice that belief is woven right into that again of something that we do something that we confess before men he says in um Matthew 10, whoever, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The idea of confessing, as we mentioned before, Gary, is the idea of, and literally in Greek, saying the same thing. So it means that I'm willing to pu openly and publicly l say and live that Jesus Christ is Lord Openly and publicly declare. declare that by my words and my actions that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And if I'm ashamed of that and hide that in a bad way when I'm afraid, then God says he'll deny me. So there it is. So that's one of the first things that he Confessing. asks us to do is confess yes. him. 
openly acknowledge that we are a Christian or we believe in him to whatever to whatever else may result then results from that with the mouth yeah well then Roman yes and and that is a a physical action by the body I know I have many Baptist friends other people like that that say oh no you can't do any you can't do anything that relates to salvation salvation is a spiritual thing in the heart man can't do anything with his body well that's just simply incorrect yeah, because, because Paul says, with the mouth. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. How much clearer can it be that there's something that you can do to be saved? And or that, must do to be saved. And confession is one of those things. Right. And, and so here's one of the things that we do. And, and also, just, just a little sidetrack here. Here's, here's another thing that we need to believe that God has raised him from the dead. Sometimes I think that's left out. We need to believe that. That's important, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead. Paul says that's one of the most important things to our religion because if that did not happen, we are of most all men most pitiable. Yeah, I, I could probably look it up right here, sitting here on my browser, but there's an article in, uh, about kind of relating to this from some religious pollster major poll was done about maybe Barna or somebody did it recently about the beliefs of Christians and what they're finding is that Christianity today and Protestant Christianity in particular is an amalgamation of new age beliefs and that a certain percentage of Christians don't believe in God or the Bible or, as you're mentioning, would certainly not believe in the literal resurrection of Christ from the dead. I mean, the United Methodist Church and many of these other highbrow churches, if I can put it that way, they, they consider themselves high churches, it isn't just me, and others. Many of their ministers and members do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet they consider themselves to be Christian. Well, if you don't believe that Jesus raised Christ, Jesus Christ if you don't believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I can say with confidence that you're not a Christian in the sense of the, yes. in the Bible sense of the word. We may use it in some modern sense of the word, that meaning that you're not a Muslim or something like that. But that's not the mean. Not a Muslim is not the meaning of Christian in the Bible. Okay, it's, so it's, it, you're not a Christian in the sense that Jesus said the words that he speaks will judge you in the last day, and then you're not one of his. Right. In in that sense, now. Mike, that passage that I'm not willing to confess him. So how can he? uh, He says he won't own own you, won't call you by his name if you won't call him, right? His name, and and basically, First Corinthians 15 is that passage I was talking about. Uh, He says um, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, and this is Paul speaking, and he says uh, in verse, um, I'm going to go to verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Basically, Paul says, if you don't believe Christ was raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Right. There's another part of that faith that, that, that we right. see. Uh, and and so that's an important point, and I, I confess to chasing a rabbit there for a minute. Maybe I shouldn't have. But basically we see that confession is very important, and some of the things that we believe about Jesus is also very important. 
So, uh, so what's, what's another thing that we know that comes first? And I would go to Matthew 4. Um, basically, Jesus says, uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he was speaking to the Jews at that point in time. Uh, but basically, there were questions asked of him in Luke 13 and beginning in verse 1. Uh, do you suppose that these Galileans who were sinners were, were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and, and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, we'll pick up repentance again, but I'd, I'd like to kind of define repentance. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a change in direction or a change in attitude or a change in purpose within your life. It's a change, a change in direction. Right. And when he says repent, he's talking about going in a different direction to change one's mind or purpose. And he's talking about purpose. Now, if we go on, we'll see the change in purpose is to serve God. You're deciding when you repent, I'm going to serve God. Literally, yes, literally in uh, Greek and English, the the words are very similar. Repentare is a Latin word uh, that that we get, but it comes into our English. Re meaning again, like a return. Pentare is to think. So it literally means to rethink, to think again, or to rethink something. So we've been thinking about things one way. We've been thinking that we're doing such a good good things was just a great person and then we rethink what we're doing and realize well what i've been doing and thinking is wrong and i need to change now in and so that's the word repent in yes. english but now it, it they brought that over and made a mirror word from the from the greek in the, which is in the new testament metanoia the meta meaning to change like a metamorphosis meta to change noia the mind or thinking so in Greek, it's to change your mind or change your thinking. So you're going one direction. You're thinking this is, this is what it is, and you have a change of mind, and you turn around go the other direction is the picture in the Bible. And so that's what's required. That's a fundamental thing, which what you're saying is required of people right. that they change from this idea that they, that they know what to do with their life and that they know the answers and the, and the way they've been living, that, which is living to themselves, is wrong, and they need to change that. They have a di- th- to think something different to about think it. something different. And so the question comes up, how do we see that, Mike? And, and Jesus says in Matthew 3, he says, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. He's telling you to do something about your repentance, but he doesn't say expressly in that case what to do. Now, I want to jump here for a minute because I want to hold that point. And I want to go to another passage, and I want to talk about the first gospel sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. And after he preached that sermon to the Jews about who Jesus was, that he was the Christ, that he had come to establish God's spiritual kingdom, the Jews ask him there in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? One of the first questions they asked is, what do we need to do? And listen to Peter's answer. Peter then he doesn't tell them to pray the sinner's prayer, I'll tell you that. No, he didn't tell them to pray the sinner's prayer. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Basically, he told them, repent. The first act you're going to do after that is be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven. So that's the first thing that you see as part of repentance. At least that's what the Bible's telling me. When I repent, that's the first thing that God is going to see is my asking. And what did they do? They asked, what shall we do? They asked. Peter didn't tell them, you know, now you've got to go ba be baptized to get your sins. He did tell them that, but they asked, what should we do? They were in a, a position to ask. And sometimes, Mike, I think we... We miss that. We, we, we don't put the things forward enough that we should really understand that people need to ask for those things. Uh, actually, in Acts 8, there's another example. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch says, and, and all, all it says here in this passage is Peter, uh, Philip preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road, they came to water, and the eunuch says, here, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He asked. He didn't have to be told. I'm sure he was told in a certain way in that preaching Jesus, but he asked for it. Acts 16, uh, basically Paul talks again about doing no harm. He says, brought them out and says, sirs, when Paul and Silas brought, were brought out of the prison, the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did they tell him? If you go on and read that, they went that hour of the night and were baptized the first sign of repentance. And baptism, this, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that we understand that God is looking to see something to show something that's not seen. In other words, how does God know that you've repented while well, you obey his commands? And then that's the first command you're given after repentance is to be baptized. So, Mike, I think that's, that's where I would like to get this idea that God wants to see our faith and see our faith in obedience to the things that we say, we tell them, that God tells them, the things that Scripture tells them. So, when you're talking, talking about baptism, that's the first fruit of repentance that we're shown in the Bible. That's the first fruit worthy of repentance that we're seeing. It's the first thing that God wants to see, and it's given some urgency. It is also the point at which God forgives our sins. He said, for the remission of your sins. In Acts 22 and 16, Paul is told after he's on the road to Damascus and he's received his sight, and Ananias is talking to him. He says in verse 16, Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is a point at which God recognizes it's the, that it's thing that he wants to see. It's again. It's the new birth. It's it is a, new a resurrection to a new life, according to Paul. Right. So it's all of those things, and yet it's downplayed so much in the religious world today around us, rather than just as, like I say, a plain and simple reading of the New Testament will show you all that of the baptism things. 
was the final point, demarcation point between the old man and the new man, uh, between the old life and the new life, between between being dead in sins and being alive in Christ. That baptism, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the parallel in baptism, that that was the mark. But the religious world just does not, cannot, almost cannot seem to accept that uh, for various reasons. I was telling someone last night, Gary, that I, th I think that most ironically, it shouldn't be ironic, it's obvious that, quote, now we don't, you and I don't consider ourselves Protestants, okay, even though the religious world, sociology would consider us Protestants. Protestants. We consider ourselves New Testament Christians, not Protestants. Because we're not just protesting the Roman Catholic Church. And, uh, I'm and, protesting and some things I'm of protesting the, a, the Methodist Church yes, and, and the evangelical else. world as well as others, too. And, and I'm protesting Protestants as well as anybody else. But, but the point is that much of, much of what, if not almost all of what, is taught about salvation in Protestant churches, starting with Martin Luther, who, was, who lived and died as a Catholic. He never was a Lutheran. He was always only a Catholic. But starting with him, much of what they are saying about salvation is simply a reaction to the Catholic Church's teaching that we're saved by saying Hail Marys, we'll get out of it, we can say buy indulgences for money, we can say prayers and count beads and do all that to be saved or to at least save ourselves from purgatory was Martin Luther's contention. And of course, he was right to object to that. Now, he said we're saved by faith. His followers later began to teach a radical idea that we're saved by faith alone. And then John Calvin and others, you know, either copied that or picked up on that or they got it, came to it their own. There's a debate about that. But they, had this, they, were, they were all reacting to Catholic teaching. And one of the things they were reacting to is the idea that you should baptize little babies without any faith at all. Babies can't have faith. So doctrines were created that, you know, your baby doesn't have faith, so the parents have faith, and later you have to have that, that child's faith confirmed when they're 12 years old. All those custom traditions that have zero uh, reference in the Bible have nothing to do with the New Testament. So I, I would go back to Acts 2 and verse 36 and 37. How does a baby ask, what shall I do? Exactly. They can't have po any faith. So the only people that you and I believe who can be baptized into Christ po properly are people that can have their own faith and can repent. Babies can't do that, okay? And nobody else can do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And so rather than our teaching about this subject being just a reaction to Catholicism, we're asking the listeners of this show to simply read the Bible for themselves about this matter, stop reading Protestant theology, which is a reaction to Roman Catholic teaching, which itself is incorrect, and read the Bible to find out how to be saved. And there's a lot of people out there, Gary, listening to us right now who, who believe in Jesus Christ. They, they, they love Jesus Christ. They love the Lord. But they have never been taught properly how to be saved because all they've ever heard is this reactionary Protestant teaching about being saved by faith only or some other radical forms of that teaching rather than reading the scriptures as to how the apostles said to be saved and what Jesus said about it. And so, uh, and I mean, apostles, we could talk about this for weeks, but that's well, the essential re thing I'm trying to get across. Well, Stop the that, believing this reactionary 
Catholic, anti-Catholic teaching. What we have to understand is what the apostles taught, what Paul and Peter taught in the letters is what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to give you the words. He says, I'm going to tell you, okay, what, what to say. And, and so the things that we're reading in Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians are the words of Jesus, not just of Paul and Peter. Right. And so what, what Ananias... So stop, st start putting confidence in them and not the Campus Crusade for Christ or right. whatever it may be that you've put your faith in. Well, see, in. this is the problem. And one of the, one of the things that brought this up is I happened to see on television Franklin Graham and his, his say the sinner's prayer or, or pray this prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart. And, and basically he's implying that you're going to be saved at that point. The Bible does not say that. No. The Bible says your sins are forgiven upon baptism. He told Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins because that is the way you call upon the name of the Lord. The, the, the prophet Amos says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I, Ananias just told Paul how to call upon the name of the Lord. He just told right. you how to call upon the name of the Lord. I've got a phone call, Gary. Okay. We'll pause for a second. Uh, Ken, are you there? Good. Speak up real loud. Ken, all I heard was one is, and then it did. We I got some get feedback, and it's it, gone. So let me know what it, t tell me again what scripture you want to talk about. Psalm chapter 2. Okay. Pardon the editing, but we had a bad connection. The caller was asking about Psalm chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 with reference to the kingdom of God. Now back to the broadcast. Well, what I would say about that is that uh, this, is a, this is certainly against this idea that Jesus was unable to set up his kingdom in the first century and had to set up the, some kind of millennium or the church and then the millennium's coming later. He's saying God has set up his kingdom. He'll set it up when he wants to set it up. And he did set it up according to uh, Acts, the book of Acts when Christ was raised from the dead. And that's when he set his, his king on his holy hill, when Christ was raised from the dead. So the fulfillment of Acts of Psalm 2 is in the book of Acts. Okay. Now, you mentioned Acts 4. 4, 4.23. What's that say, Gary? And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported that all the chief priests and elders had said to them, so that when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David was said, why did the nations rage? That's a, this is a reference back to Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the Christ. Okay, I don't know how far we wanted to go with that. Well, yes, so he's saying that uh, he's talking here about the fact that Christ was set up in the days of Pontius Pilate uh, to be the king. Yes. That's the fulfillment of it. It's also, we see this in Acts chapter 2 uh, and about beginning in about verse uh, 18 and following. You see the same thing, that, that uh, they were raging against the Christ, but he God set him up by the resurrection of death. It says, Peter said that through the resurrection of the dead, he set Christ on the, on the throne of David, which is the very throne he's talking about uh, in, in Zion on his holy hill. It's the same thing. 
So what was the other passage in Revelation, Ken? I didn't get Revela that one. That's Revelations 12, 11, I think. And it talks about, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Basically, the way Jesus conquered or the way the kingdom was set in place was by those who overcame through Jesus Christ is what I'm reading that. Okay. What's your, what's your take on these verses, Ken? Oh, Ken hung up. Okay, sorry about that. Well, yes, I, th I think that this is... Um, I've spoken about these at different times over the years, these, this, these passages, because of this common notion that's out there, in, again, in, in Protestant teaching, that the kingdom of God has not yet been set up, that we're still kind of looking for that kingdom to be set up, when, of course, the Bible's pretty clear that the kingdom of God, of God and the throne of David have already been occupied by Jesus Christ. God did set up his kingdom. He did renew the kingdom of David at the time that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's been in place for almost two millennia. It's what we, visibly, what we would call the church. Christ is now ruling and the people that are in Christ's kingdom are the people that Gary's been talking about in the first part of the show here today that have believed in Christ, repented of their sins, been baptized for mission of their sins, and become a Christian, a blood-bought part of Christ's body. That's the, that's the kingdom of God. You know, Gary, it's really more simple than some people are making it. The word kingdom in the New Testament, in the Greek word, just means rule, to be ruled or to the, uh, the rule of something. And so the people that are in the kingdom are the people that are, have submitted to the rule of Christ. That's one way to look at it. That's who's in the kingdom. He's been set on David's throne, according to the prophecy, 2 Samuel 7, Acts chapter 2, say that's been fulfilled. Right. And, and the verse you just read in Acts 4 says the same thing. Those who submit to his rule. Peter says that this Jesus, whom you crucified, has been made both Lord and Christ. Christ. In Acts uh, two thirty seven, well, that's that's exactly what was going to happen. Well, so the people that submit to that are in the kingdom. Those who don't are outside the kingdom. And, and for those who say it's not spoken of at all in the Old Testament, that's how the Old Testament prophets, especially Zechariah, can say that in this kingdom there will be no Canaanite. Right. You can't get in accidentally or just by birth, can you? Right. You can't just walk mm -mm. in like you cross a border or something like that. You are born into that kingdom through the forgiveness of your sins, through the blood of Christ, through baptism. Through an intentional act on your part, part. to believe and accept the truth of Jesus Christ and obey, and obey him. him, do what he says. He does his part, which you can't do, which is forgive sins and provide the sacrifice so that you can't provide. So this is absolutely not a physical kingdom here on this earth. It is right. a spiritual kingdom which you enter it, in by God forgiving your sins and you repenting of your past. And in fact, Gary... When you read in verse uh, in the book of First Corinthians, um, let me find this here. The exact verse he says, and he says, in talking about Christ and the kingdom of Christ, he says that in verse seventeen, I'll start reading where you left off a minute ago. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, he's speaking in present tense to people that were Christians right. then. 
And he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable, which tells me that the true hope of the Christian isn't in this life and being healed from diseases and whatnot. Or he says, but he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And that last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And he says, now that when all things have been made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who has put all things under him that God may be all in all. Now, what's that saying? That's saying that this kingdom that Christ established, it was established under Christ in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, will remain in force until the second coming of Christ at the end of time. Then at the end of time, when Christ has raised all the dead from the from their graves, he said this himself in John 5, 28, that he would, his, at his voice, all the dead would come forth. Right. Some to a resurrection of life, some to a resurrection of condemnation. But when that event happens, he says then he's going to return the kingdom to God, and he's no longer going to be king. So in heaven, Gary, we're not, Christ is not going to be our king. So many songs we have say that. So many people think that. He's not going to be king in heaven. God will be all in all. Christ will return the kingdom to the Father, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So this kingdom of Christ that was established in the day of Pentecost and prophesied by the prophets has a beginning point and ending point. Now, I know that's radical teaching to some, but I want you to read it for yourself in these scriptures we've talked about. And so anyway... Well, so one of the more I don't know what Ken had in mind, but that's what I'm getting at. Well, one of the things that I think I want I wanted to be sure that people understand is that God wants to see our faith. He wants to see our faith in the form of us obeying His commands. One of His commands is to repent. One of the first things He wants to see as a fruit of that repentance is to be baptized, and basically that is the point at which your sins are forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven the minute you believe in Jesus Christ. No, it's the, the, your sins are forgiven when you obey, and that's what he's saying in in First Peter three and verses twenty and following. He, and I'm going to start a little bit in the middle, but we'll go before verse twenty one. He says, "When once in the long, this is First Peter chapter three, uh, part of verse twenty and following. When once in the divine long suffering, waiting in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water." There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the flesh, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is it's not, it's not the removal of the filth from your body. It's the obedience. It's the answer of a good conscience that you obeyed the command of God. Right. Your conscience was, conscience was hurting you. And in, in response to that, you obeyed God's word that you were guilty, and now you, because you've been forgiven, 
you you want to be baptized. And 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 or, I would I would point I and say that right. You know, basically, when you believe your sins have not be, been forgiven, you cannot enter the kingdom with sin. Right. When you believe only. When you believe on. Now, when now you sometimes I will the say word belief is co- right. encompasses the whole right. thing. But sometimes it, it's mental acknowledgement. Sometimes yes. it encompasses the whole thing. I'm going to say, make it more clearly, I'll say, if it's mental acknowledgement, you are not saved at that point. Right. And, and basically he's saying, God forgives your sins upon baptism, and you get a good conscience because you obeyed his command. Now, now the point that I would connect up, and I don't know if this is the caller's point or not, about this kingdom from the Old Testament and then through Christ, is that um, if you're not truly a subject of Jesus Christ then he can't confess you before men as it were you've not submitted yourself to him and I think because of that then you're not going to be saved uh, it's yeah, very simple you're going to be saved when you're a subject to the king and we need to make sure that we've done the things and, and, underst- and believe the things that are necessary for that to come about y- your point in this discussion of first things I guess Gary if I could summarize it my own way is that there are things that you can do to be saved or to be lost. This yes. popular notion there's nothing you can do to be saved or lost that God chooses you and you can have nothing to do with it. It simply, simply isn't what the Bible teaches. It's what John Calvin taught, but it's not what the Bible teaches. And I hope that our listeners are concerned about what the Bible teaches. So it behooves each of us then to take a look at what the Bible says we must do to be saved. What must I do to be saved? It behooves us to think about that quite a bit. Well, if you want to call about that, you've only got about five minutes left today, but we're glad to discuss that with you or at least begin a discussion. One so. other thing we have to say. Uh-huh. Now, what this means is when you repent, when you have a change of mind and you set out to obey God, you have to continue in this. Right. If you draw back, this is all worthless, and we can go to the I, That's another I, teaching that's false around that. Right. Once you're saved, you can never be lost. The Bible doesn't teach that either. Yes, and, and, and I, w- I had the scripture here, and I'm trying to find it. It's in Hebrews, talking about faith unto salvation. Well, it's Hebrews chapter 10, the last couple yeah. of verses there, Gary, on into chapter 11. I just uh, don't have it memorized. Yes, it's, it's those who draw back to perdition. And but I, some I, have faith unto the saving of the soul. Let, let me just pull it up here. Okay. <coughs> um, I thought I had it here, but I don't. He says um, uh, at the very end of this chapter, first of all, he says in uh, verse 30. Uh, verse 36. Well, not, no, let's just go back a little bit. Okay. But let's go to verse, we got four, verse uh, 28, beginning. He says, anyone who rejects Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy of those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? He's talking about people who say they're believers but have turned back, as well as unbelievers. And he said, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Uh, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He goes on to talk about how in the former days, those Jews had endured a great struggle of sufferings and so forth. He tells them in verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Is it possible for us to cast away our salvation or our confidence? 
Yes. He, he thinks so. Well, you have, he says in verse 34, you have need of endurance. Right. So that after you have done the will of God that you may receive the promise. Right. And he says in verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back as perdition or destruction, but those who believe unto the saving of the soul. So there are those who believe and then draw back to destruction. Their faith does not finish the job. And there are those who have faith and then finish the job and, 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 and go forth. Right. And that's and what chapter 11 is about. And, and I all didn't those I, yes, I didn't want to leave the discussion without understanding that once you have done these things, you must continue in the Lord throughout your life. Right. And that, in, that involves learning more and more. We're not perfect at the moment we're baptized. We're, we're not have all the knowledge of God that we should. We are now set upon what, Mike? This is what I set upon some 30-something years ago, a life of learning. Right. right. Well, Jesus says this um, here in the parable of the seeds or the sower about some of the people he was talking about. But these, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but these have no root, who believe for a time or for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Is it possible for you to believe and then fall, fall away? away the Jesus answer. says so. Yes. You can argue with him about that. Well, our time is basically gone today, so give it 15 seconds. Gary, summarize it. Uh, basically, that's the plan of salvation. Believe, confess, repent, obey in the form of baptism, and live a life dedicated to God. Yes. Yeah, very much so. We need, to, we need to continue to remember that. Well, our time is gone today. We really appreciate you listening. Hope you can tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. And uh, we, we'd like to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. You can meet with us this morning at 10, 11, and on Wednesday nights at 730 at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard is the address here for the church. We'd be love to have you come and meet with us uh, anytime you can. Or you can even live stream the service. I'm going to give you a URL. i got just a moment. TinyURL.com at Savona Church Stream. TinyURL.com at Savona Church Stream. We'd love to have you join us. We'd like to and thank you for listening today. Thanks for those who called and texted. Hope you can tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. And may God bless you. Fulfill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill my cup.